Guess what I just saw. What? Well, I can't. Was it Coco? I'm going to whisper it because they're like, Jim, Yeah. yesterday somebody brought up Star Wars. He started screaming out. at I them. I was wondering what that was about. Screaming at them. Security had to escort him out. So I'm just, I'm going to whisper to you. I saw The Last Jedi. Shut up. I did. I did too. Can we talk about his quiet? Yes, let's talk about it right let's now. Let's whisper like this the whole time we're talking. I think it's sexy. <laughs> That was a small clip from the Last Jedi episode of Spoiled with Mac and Catherine, a movie podcast where they spoil things. Slight spoiler on this show, they will come back. In this episode of Mark as Played, as I think Last Jedi and the fan reaction to it, not far off from the Ghost Bros and the reaction to the recent news that Jason Reitman will be taking over the role that his father had in the original Ghostbuster films with what's being called Ghostbusters 2020. I'm Michael Denston. Joining me once again is Andrew Pierce. In this week's theme, our movies haunted by their own past, their own successes, their own failures. And this being Mark has played, boy, do we have about 40 minutes of failure for you coming up. Along with two other great movie podcasts, that we recommend you listen to instead of our dumbasses. An article here from Scott Mendelson uh, attacking me, I guess. <laughs> the headline <laughs> is, it's all your fault. So um, right. I'll quote from that. Uh, and we can get started. Was it 12 minutes in, 12 and a half? All right. <laughs> Do I not sound enthusiastic? <laughs> I love it. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. I guess we're going to talk about this. <laughs> it's been a rough. Let's see, uh, let's see where this takes us. <laughs> it's been a rough podcasting week for me because I, I've been, you know, New Year's resolution. Like, all right, let's let's clear the decks. Let's let's everything I've recorded, these conversations I've had. Let's just get it out in the world, get it off my back, and um, I've started getting into my hard drive where I've discovered the ones that were there for a reason. That I didn't want to edit a full <laughs> with. And, uh, none of, you know, a lot of times I have problems with the actual content, but it's, it's usually my fault. Like I could, I could have wrangled that conversation in a different way. But, um, these in particular are ones where the audio, like my audio, for whatever reason, was messed up. Different right. microphone, different house. So I've had to, like the last, let's see, original remake I put up, I had to re record my side of it. So listening to myself. And redoing the lines. No. Yep. And I've got another one that I was going to put up yesterday. And it was the same thing. But it was even worse. Like, I don't even know if I can make out what I said. So now I'm going to have to make up what I think I said based on what Peter said. And I'm like, this. <laughs> like, my wife came home and I was at the kitchen table on the laptop editing. And I was just like, why? Why do I do this? Like, really? What? I mean, I, <laughs> I just, I envision myself just walking off into the field uh we live near train tracks and just like just going and lay, laying right on the tracks and be like, just take me away from this i don't want to think about it anymore and what your your obituary would be like 
<laughs> you know, he died with an unedited podcast on his computer. <laughs> we can't. We make, listen to it. <laughs> we can't make out what his final thoughts were, like because they're distorted. <laughs> what is the meaning of this? <laughs> so, yeah, my uh-huh. my biggest hit as a uh, podcaster would be inevitably like a true crime podcast that would get a hold of the audio and make me out to be something more than what I was. So, maybe there's a positive to all this if I do. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our Ghostbusters isn't, episode. Isn't aren't I usually the one that 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 delivers us to like a, a dramatic, terrible conclusion? We're opening up with this. What a what a fantastic way to start the episode. Yeah, um, I, I have to I have to bring something else to this because I will uh, as we get into it, and I've, I've not read too much of the hubbub about this Ghostbusters. This where the uh, the son inherits. I guess partially his father's work. Uh, but I have to preface the whole conversation by saying I've never really been a fan of the original Ghostbusters. I watched it as a kid and was like, ah, I never rewatched it. So that tells you something as a kid. Cause usually, you know, especially in those days, if you have a VHS tape as a child and it's like family entertainment, you just wear it the fuck out, play it over and over and over. Like Tim Burton's Batman. I've seen probably a thousand times. Not Ghostbusters. And I tried to give it a chance again as an adult. They did like a, I don't know, 30th anniversary, 25, whatever it was. Um, and did it in the cinemas like for one night only. At like a new 4K restoration, blah, blah, blah. I watched it and I'm like, I had that right. It was like a four-year-old. I'm like, yeah, this isn't funny. I don't care for it. <laughs> so maybe I'm the wrong guy to be impartial in this way. Because there are clearly, you believe the internet, there are people that are very passionate about this property. Yeah, very, very passionate. And I am not partial to the original Ghostbusters. Um, uh, my videotape of choice was not uh, Tim Burton's Batman, but in fact, Stuart Raffel's classic film, 1988 film, Mac and Me. Uh, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. I was like, God, I walked into this. <laughs> at, at four years old, that was my VHS film of choice. Maybe that's why I ended up this way. Um, but. Um, Given seeing what the Ghost Bros are like out online, I'm I'm glad that I didn't turn into one of them. So uh, my film of choice uh, growing up was certainly a little bit better than uh, Ghostbusters, um, and we've just lost all our listeners. Um, but I <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the 2016 version, though. Uh, so I'm mildly disappointed by the fact that there is not going to be a continuation of that universe, mostly because I like Kate McKinnon in that film. I thought that she was fantastic, but you know, I just, I don't know why they're doing this. Uh, I well, really it's don't. to do what the 2016 version did, which is as soon as that came out, it erased the previous Ghostbuster films, couldn't access them. So now somehow with this twisted logic, the <laughs> Ghostbusters that as far as I can tell is not going to star the original cast. Cause I'm pretty sure Bill Murray has been adamant about not doing a third one. I think he was the holdup for well over a decade, correct? Yes, correct. And from what I've read, uh, they're sourcing, they're, they're seeking uh, 14s, for, not 14, four space teens uh, for the uh, film. So obviously the people who are all like, oh, yes, give, give us Ghostbusters 3 with Bill Murray and uh, Dan Aykroyd and uh, the other guys, uh, well, the other guy, rather, because uh, Harold Ramis is dead, Um 
Which is convenient for a Ghostbusters film, but I don't think they're going to CGI him into the film. Um, <laughs> Careful, we're but... <laughs> getting into dark territory again. <laughs> uh, but they're going with teenagers, and I think they're probably going for like a um, given. Did you watch the the short trailer that they the teaser that they put up online? No, which they, I'm assuming they've not filmed anything yet, right? Well, they've filmed a teaser, uh, which was it like a car, like. A ghost? What was yeah, it? There's, there's a ghostly kind of looking house, a barn, and you know, sp- spooky music, and it's in the middle of the night, and this camera moves in on the barn, and the door opens, and, and then wind blows, and this tarp lifts up, and there's the car, and the Ghostbusters symbol on it, and it's like, okay, so they're really, and then it says summer 2020, so they're, you know, they're adamant we are going to make this thing, um, but. It has kind of like a Stranger Things vibe to it. Uh, of course. Kind of, of course it does, because <laughs> nostalgia. Uh, it's the currency of the day. Um, but So I'll, I'll drag in the podcast that I'll bring into this show, uh, which is The Weekly Planet, um, which is an Australian podcast. Uh, great guys on the show. I thoroughly enjoy listening to it. Oh, good. I'm just glad we're hearing another uh, voice from your great nation <laughs> talking about Ghostbusters, not just you representing your entire country. Yeah, I'm straight. Uh, people love the Australian accent. It's a very uh, alluring accent. Um, but here, there, there are two guys on the show, and uh, on this particular episode, it goes well all the way back to 2016. They're talking about having watched the 2016 version of Ghostbusters, and they're talking about the opening weekend and how it's probably it's only done about 40 something million dollars and it'll end up number two on the box office. But they bring up a major point, which I think is really concerning for this next one, which is the fact that the 2016 Ghostbusters couldn't be screened in China. Ghostbusters. Uh, it's finally here. Yeah. And we can finally talk about it and then finally <laughs> not talk it. about it anymore. So let's talk numbers, Mason. Okay. It's made 46, about, it's going to make about 46 million for the US opening. That's pretty good, right? It's okay. Okay. Uh, it won't hit number one because okay. I think uh, the one where the pets are, it's Toy oh, Story. Oh, Secret with Life pets. of Pets. Yeah. That's made like a hundred yeah. billion dollars. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's doing really well. So that will probably be number one again. But it's beating out other stuff, right? It's beating out Central Intelligence. It'll maybe? be second. It'll yeah. be second. But uh-huh. the thing is, the problem with this is, it's not. It's open- got women in it. That's, that, the that's problem. a massive problem. Obviously, that's the biggest problem. But it's not opening in China. Because China uh, chose not to because it has supernatural elements. And That's they, right. They refuse the, ro- the right of mm. a lot to – they invoke that law whenever they kind of don't want to put out a thing. So that would – that's a massive dent. Like yeah. if you don't get China, you ain't got nothing, Mason. That's true. You've got a middling box office. Could they have carefully edited around the ghosts <laughs> in the movie Ghostbusters? Yeah. Uh, it's just about plucky young women getting ahead in the world of science. Building nuclear reactors. Bloody <laughs> – the Metropolitan Train Network. <laughs> That's right. Uh, because they, China has something against ghosts. Like it's a, it's a cultural thing. They don't particularly like ghosts. So okay. films with ghosts in it um, can't be screened in China. So be it. And it doesn't take a genius to realize that, like, you know, a huge amount of the world's box office is being made in China. I mean, what China, China's audience made up uh, – $300 million for Aquaman, I think it was. So not a small amount of money, which is more than what Ghostbusters 2016 made in its entire run. So it's like if you can't deliver a film in that market, then what is the point of making this particular film at all? Like besides retaining IP and 
you know, I know that Sony's kind of uh, dry on on you know film properties and stuff like that. They've got Spider Man. They lost the Bond films, and what else have they got? Venom. Um, They're pretty well. That's about it. Yeah. But but what other properties do they have besides you know they don't really have a deep catalog like Warner Brothers or Universal do that they can dig into, so they can, you know they just have to lean on something like Ghostbusters and you know hold their fingers crossed and hope that it makes a truckload of money. Uh, so they've got so, um, what they're redoing uh, relaunching Men in Black right Men in Black International yeah which I'm excited for which is a bad sign when I'm excited for something <laughs> because. <laughs> It means that nobody else is. <laughs> so yeah, I mean they're desperately, desperately trying to get in that game. They had Jumanji, what last Christmas that was a huge hit. So they're, I mean they're reaching here. And I look, everyone's got to make money. That's not bad. Um, but I think uh, I have an article. I don't have a podcast that is kind of all about that from Scott Mendelson, who uh, I told you is blaming you and I uh, directly. Uh, just anyone who's reading this article, it's your fault. Uh, Jason Reitman is directing Ghostbusters 3, and it's all your fault. Um, but he – I don't know if it makes he makes a convincing case. This is more related to Reitman's career and saying like, okay, well, here, here are the type of films that he's made that pretty much no one saw. No one saw in the – I mean, that's extreme, but something like Tully, which I think you and I are big fans of. It's in my top ten for last sure, year. Sure, yeah. mine as well. Great film. Yeah. So I guess it's not our fault. But he's saying they didn't make money. Like, this is something where he tried to kind of stay the path from uh, Juno, thank you for smoking, um, had another miss with uh, men, women, and children, and certainly the front runner uh, tanked. You're, you're, you're skipping uh, two really good films of his, uh, Up in the Air and Young Adult. Uh, Up in the Air made a bit of money. Well, um, I was I, I, that was I was trying to sorry sorry trying sorry, to make um, my case, and now you've ruined it. Like, okay, well, the country supported that, so <laughs> which I think I, I'm wondering. I guess how much you know, <clears throat> how much room is he given? How much runway is he given off something like up in the air? And it's that was what was that 2009? Nine? Ten? Yeah, ten years. So ago. okay, so he's you know he he ran. Pretty much as far as he could away from the easy property. And the way they're framing this now is like that it's a, a family inheritance thing. Like they're going to have the Reitman name on it, which I, I said at the front, I'm not a huge Ghostbusters fan. That doesn't really mean much to me. And I think also if Bill Murray said, hey, I want to do this and I want Edgar Wright to direct it. I don't think people would give a fuck if, well, like, well, why isn't Reitman's kid doing it? He's he's the heir to this property. I think if Bill Murray said yes, that's all people would care about, and he could pick his filmmaker. But to get back to this Sony thing, uh, Mendelssohn, you know, mentions here. Here's some things that they released, like adult dramas. Um, so I guess if you're harping on the fact that, you know, they're trying to bring, you know, Venom out there and Jumanji and they're just digging through their archives for, for IP, um, only the brave Roman J Israel Esquire, all the money in the world bombs, all bombs. And and how much did all the money in the world cost them as well? Like an extra 11 or $12 million like to, uh, just erase to- Spacey, like the, the Kate McKinnon Ghostbusters are now going to be erased. <laughs> you know, I actually think as someone who really wasn't, wasn't a fan of that movie. And I was really disappointed because I, I really wanted to, to be so opposed to the trolls who hated it sight unseen 
for like a sure. year leading up to film. It just, you know, it just didn't work for me. Um, <laughs> there's the other side of me that would wonder, would it be a victory for people like me? Or would it just cause a new set of trolls? Would it unite all trolls if Reitman remade shot for shot <laughs> the 2016 <laughs> Ghostbusters <laughs> just with the Reitman name? And would people accept or not? And would he convince some of those trolls, assuming that they never watched the all girls version? Though that now this is great. This is the fucking Ghostbusters we've been waiting for, not knowing that it was the one that came out, you know, four years prior. I oh, look. It would be nice, uh, you know. I would pay to see that just to to see them get upset, but uh, I don't know. I don't. I just. I don't know about this. I really don't. And it's all nepotism. That's really all it is. It's the only reason that it feels like uh, Jason's dad has come along and said, "Look, buddy, you've you've made some losses. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a home run for you. You'll get back on top now." Is this know? like a Hollywood, you know, elite version? silver spoon type thing where it's like like you said up in the air was a long ass time ago buddy kid it's time for you to come to run the family store like you finally have to you you ran from it for as long as you could now you have to do good by the Reitman name uh which is funny and sad i I find the having not seen the teaser that the strangers thing vibe is more depressing than because if it wasn't for ivan Reitman, i think I would kind of be intrigued by this based on what his previous films, you know, from the, the filmmaker that brought you Labor Day comes Ghostbusters <laughs> 2020. I, I would find that to be a curveball and be like, okay, curious choice. I, I, I'm going to check that out. I don't really like the, uh, I don't like this ghost bros savior aspect that they're doing in this early marketing of this film. Yeah, it feels, it feels very much like the, they're trying to save grace and be like, okay, guys, can we, you know, can we get you back in the cinema mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff? But I don't think that Jason Reitman's a very good director um, at all. I, I really don't. As a lover because of young adult. As a lover of young adult. And and the reason is, and a lover of Tully and a lover of Juno. And the okay. reason is the consistent aspect mm-hmm. of that is that it's Diablo Cody. Like her scripts i've read her scripts her scripts are great to read they're really really energetic and exciting to read and i think that you know they work well together but he manages to translate what she's got on the paper perfectly but then you've got labor day and men women and children and uh up in the air and of course thank you for smoking's quite good but those other films are, are co-written by him or or solely written by him and they're just they're so bland and boring and even up in the air not a fan of that one um yeah not not a big fan at all uh i i thought it was fine um it's tolerable uh but fairly (laughs) forgettable fairly forgettable (laughs) how dare you that's (laughs) for me that is the uh that is the iconic george clooney role and that it's some it's a role that i don't know if he doesn't have any interest in playing but it's a throwback to like a classic movie star performance where he's sort of coasting sure. on his own identity and his own charisma. And honestly, I guess I'm, you know, maybe as a teenager, I would have been like, what is this shit? I don't need this. This is terrible. But now as an old man, I, I want to retreat to the safety of that where I, I know George is going to be George and he's going to be handsome and say smooth things that are very, uh, witty and then have sex with beautiful women. Um, they, of course, they, they mix in a little heartbreak for him. You know, you have to have a little sour because yeah. everything can't be so easy. But 
I, I want to retreat to those days, Andrew. I want that comfort and that warmth of beautiful people. Well, you've literally just explained the plot of uh, Leatherheads, which is a much better film uh, than <laughs> Up in the Air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. <laughs> let me let me just put like a still shot, or maybe even the the, the cover art for Up in the Air and Leatherheads to people who you know are wanting like me to see beautiful people uh, doing things with other beautiful people and having a little bit of drama, a little bit of fun, and seeing him and Krasinski who my wife thinks is like the most handsome man on the planet, uh, covered in mud, wearing those stupid 1930s football helmets, the leatherhead. I don't know if that's going to sell as well. And I don't think it did, Andrew. Look, I mean, head safety is important. And you know, back in the 1930s, they recognized that concussion was a serious issue. So They didn't need you know. Will Smith to lecture them on this. They had it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering how many people tuned to this be like, cool, Ghostbusters podcast. <laughs> We're going to argue about the merits of Leatherheads versus Up in the Air. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because other than the name, do you think the Ghost Bros give a shit about the guy who did Men, Women, and Children or Tully or the Front Runner saving their franchise? They don't give a shit who's directing it. They really don't. Just as long as no feminists get their fingers in it. That's all that matters. And uh, lo and behold, hopefully they don't go and check his previous work because, you know, he has done some pretty uh, pretty good feminist stories, I think. You know, Tully and, and Young Adult and Juno, I think, are very good feminist tales. Again, Diablo Cody wrote them, so it's not as if it's directly coming from him, but still. I'm assuming you would be more excited if this was a Reitman-Cody, like, pairing again. No, I'd be sad because, like... I just I don't know like I I I don't like seeing good talent go to waste on stuff that we've already got. It's like you know seeing Chloe Zhao directing the Eternals film for example. Like The Rider was a great film, one of the best films of last year. And I'm like you're going from The Rider to a uh, Marvel film, we don't need that. Like, please put your talent elsewhere that's that's going to be much better serviced. And that's a selfish thing because you know, they're all interchangeable to me, which is, you know, not very helpful discussion, but I just find them very, eh, what's the point? Um, so it would, it would be disappointing to see if Diablo Cody got attached to a, a Ghostbusters film, uh, especially a male-led Ghostbusters film. Um, but, yeah, I don't this know. This one is think- supposed to be I, – I think I feel like it's, this is very much like they had to – <clears throat> the pitch for this was like, okay, this is a minefield. We have to navigate it. Because from what I read, it was going to be two like teenage boys and two teenage girls. Mm. Like, but yeah. <laughs> to me, <laughs> to me, that seemed like I'm like okay, as a as a left leaning individual politically, um, I don't know if this is what I want. Like, <laughs> like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I want big studio properties to be so concerned with equality that they've got down to a mathematic equation. This one being very simple, doesn't require Matt Damon and his janitor outfit, but two and two, (laughs) you know, I don't know if I'm like, well, just like the, um, I guess it's like the same people bitching about the, the Ghostbusters where it's like, why does it have to be all women? Like, why can't, why can't you just have a female character? Why do you have to make it like a girl power thing? Yeah. And my thinking at the time was, Liz McCarthy and Kristen Wiig are coming off two, well, 
Melissa McCarthy had a string of box office hits. I was like, I'm just looking at it as like, this is a good money venture to have the comedic talent to do it. Like, you know, Hmm. maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, Adam Sandler would have been the guy that they would have been like, Hey, let's try to get him for this comedy. That's going to, you know, it's going to be high budget comedy. So we need to put butts in the seats. Isn't that, that, uh, that film that he did with all the other guys, um, the watch or whatever it is like him and Richard Aote and they go around as aliens and stuff like that. Uh, um, that was Stiller and Vaughn. I think Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Okay. How, how dare you put that on Adam Sandler's completely unblemished filmography? Oh well, naturally the the, the mind behind Pixels. I, I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Pixels is essentially a Ghostbusters film. Like for one, that that mold of having four guys doing one thing against a supernatural mm-hmm. or a foreign entity. Um, you know, it, Ghostbusters set the mold way back when. So it's surprising that it did essentially take about 20 years for a, you know, a women-directed version of it. Well, 30 years even uh, for a women-focused di- you know, version of it to come about. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit strange because usually we would have had a gender swap version a long time ago. But that format has been, it's been successful, and that's the format that the Jumanji sequel is uh, based on. At least where you've got three people and a girl. I think the Mendelssohn article, you know, not only mentions Jumanji, but I think Pixels as well. Uh, basically, is explaining like this is why Sony has to just attach the Ghostbusters name to this, like they did with Jumanji, because they <laughs> they can't do it on their own. They can't create something new. Um, maybe this is a, like a Sony, not only just a Ghostbusters thing, but it's a Sony house style that you've kind of stumbled upon that they just <laughs> keep doing it. Like any of these rejected Ghostbusters drafts, just put another name on it. Well, I mean, it does seem fairly quick for a, I imagine it will be a uh, very effects heavy film. Um, it seems pretty quick that they're going to have it out by summer 2020. Usually these things will have already started filming, you know, two years in advance so they can get all the uh, the CGI stuff ready. So I imagine that they probably had a script there and then just, you know, went control F and swapped around the words, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to put. Oh, Dwayne Johnson here and stuff. Too busy. He's doing yeah. a uh, Fast and Furious spinoff. So take that Jumanji 3 concept and let's just, <laughs> let's just erase some of the names and. Uh, yeah, Kevin Hart won't be in this one, so we'll just, we'll make him a girl. We have two girls, right? Two girls this time? Okay, good. We're good. No one will bitch about it. Uh, Exactly. I, um, I got, like, coming into this podcast, I thought, like, okay, do I want to listen to a bunch of Ghostbusters podcasts for a film that I didn't really care for? And I think I've actually even used one before talking about another movie, um, and it was, it was, I can't remember the show, but you'll just have to download every Marcus played episode. Uh, you can do me that, that favor, that courtesy, and you can find out uh, yourself, dear listener, do my own research. Uh, but it was about these, like, I think three male hosts trying their best to be like, <laughs> to set up the fact that they didn't like the movie, but they wanted to distance themselves as much as possible, much like myself from the negative rhetoric leading up to it. Like... They're like, I, we are not that. We don't buy into that. Don't believe it. We're not. Nope, nope. This It's just a movie. Didn't really laugh as much as I wanted to. That's all. That's it. End of discussion. So probably should have just skipped even covering it if you have to do 30 minutes, the preamble to it. But I found a podcast, um, and it was a little bit difficult because I wanted to go, not go after, because I quite liked it, The Last Jedi, which I feel like is sort of in that 
now is in a similar scenario as this Ghostbusters property. Um, it may be a little bit of fake news. Um, the the author, the the writer I mentioned, Scott Mendelson, who does a lot of like box office or punditry for Forbes, uh, I think has done an article on this before, saying that uh, like somehow even the Russians. The, the Russian trolls were attached to the last Jedi thing. Like we're pushing that narrative as well, which I don't know. I don't know how that helps them politically to get star Wars fans up in arms, but apparently that is the impact that that franchise has on our country that a divisive star Wars movie can lead to Trump. I don't know. I thought it was Batman versus Superman. According to Twitter. That's what I've been told that led to Trump. <laughs> But See, this is this is where my filtered words on Twitter have, have done me justice, where I've I filtered out most Star Wars discussions, so I miss mm. I miss all of this noise. So uh, that was sorry, the hard Russia. part. That was a yeah, yeah. sorry Russia. Um, <laughs> they could help us out. They could push this divisive podcast and get our numbers up. I'd be be fine with that. Uh, mm. The one I found was called "Spoiled with Mac and Catherine," and um, they didn't have. A glowing review of The Last Jedi. Uh, they had a, a problem with, I guess, the casino sequence, which I, I've heard even from people who liked it. And I, I liked the movie, too. And I'm like, well, it's a little long, kind of. And I like that area of the film. Uh, but they had an interesting point. I guess it's hard to, like, you know, with this episode coming out on release week, um, they weren't yet, like, we are talking about the discussion around it just yet. They, were, mm. they watched the movie. And the, here's our response to it, which is, is great. So yeah. it's sort of captured in time that way. And it's hard to look at Ryan Johnson now, but the host on that show, uh, Mac was comparing him more favorably to George Lucas than J.J. Abrams. Catherine, a couple of years ago, the <sighs> world was so pleased with the fact that The Force Awakens didn't suck <laughs> that we were all bowled over by it. Upon further review... Most of us have determined that it is still a fantastic movie. We we know because we just watched it again today. And you can go and listen to our completely spoiled review of The Force Awakens, which we watched with Greg and Jennifer and I think did a spoiled review with Greg yes, and Jennifer. And since uh, Lucasfilm has been taken out of the hands of, uh, of George Lucas <laughs> and um, the production team over at Disney has, uh, they put J.J. Abrams in charge of the first movie. We love you, J.J. And and they take sort of a modern, almost like what I would call like a modern day George Lucas, which is Ryan Johnson, and put him in charge of this one. And we've recently found out another trilogy altogether. This is, um, and I say he's like a modern day George Lucas because he is sort of a fanboy of film, as mm -hmm. lots of directors are. But he seems to have this sort of childlike wanderlust to him. And he, I don't think he's lost the love of wanting that at-at, you know, for Christmas, that yeah. kind of thing. And he made a name with movies like Brick and the Brothers Bloom and um, Looper. Um, and so he's done a great job with mo two of those were, well, no, it's just really Looper that's been the sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. um, but very stylish in, in his filmmaking. And so they, they put it in his hands. So... How did this young ingenue do? By the way, you know how old he is? I don't want to know. Is he like 25 or no, something? No, he's 44. Really? Ryan Johnson's 44? Yep. I had this image of him as like this really young guy. Okay, cool. So the, the sort of discussion was interesting at that time that he was saying like this is 
good because this is more of a true return to form as far as from a filmmaker sensibilities that you're actually getting more like what George Lucas was in 1977 as opposed to someone that wants to be George Lucas after he stopped directing and just was known as the Star mm. Wars guy. And boy, I, I feel bad because anyone that <laughs> the Ghost Bros or Last Jedi haters that are clicking on this, they're like, I'm going to leave a negative review for this spoiled with Mac and Catherine podcast. These poor people. <laughs> I, I think they, you know, they, they seem kind of distant from film. This is like their secondary podcast. That, so I think the, this is just like a, hey, we like to talk about movies occasionally type thing. So uh, I apologize now, but I enjoyed the discussion. Um, and I thought it was pretty, pretty fair too because they had their problems with the movie. Like, a normal person would. So that's, I guess that goes back to the, like the Ghostbusters thing, because like with Reitman, you would think that anyone with some sense <laughs> would not be just happy that it's the son of Reitman coming in, but it's like, okay, let's get a guy who does comedy movies. Let's get like a comedian, a true, like that's, that's his love and get him. And I guess you would say someone like, um, Adam McKay pre Big Short would have been something more in line with getting back to the sensibilities of the original Ghostbusters at that time. Mm. And he does do he does want to do a uh, film like this as well. He's been talking about he's like there's certain Marvel characters that I would like to work with that I think would be funny and and certainly for Adam McKay as well he you know did a a uh, rewrite on the first Ant Man film as well so he's He's worked in that field. He would have been a good choice for it. But, um, again, I would have been sad because I like his, uh, you know, his more political stuff. I enjoy that kind of thing. Ghostbusters is very political now. I mean, he could. (laughs) Exceptionally political. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in that regard, are there really any comedy directors around today? You know, like, think about it. You know, comedies, unfortunately, don't have the same pedigree of, of, comedy directors as they did way back in the 80s. Uh, and sure, Paul Feig is uh, certainly one of the uh, better comedy directors working at the moment. How dare but... you mention that name on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. I feel sorry for him. He always has such nice suits as well. So he looks always so <laughs> well-mannered and, and so polite. Uh, I, can, I just feel bad for him. Um, but there's nobody like – if you think back at the eighties, I think the eighties was like the heyday for great comedies mm. and, and, you know, great comedy directors were able to try out different sorts of things. And that's where you had films like, you know, Beverly Hills cop and 48 hours. And then, and then also ghostbusters and Caddyshack and stuff like that. And these exciting kind of comedies, which were just really pushing the, the actual genre and, and pushing it out in a, a different way. And, that just doesn't exist nowadays. It's a bit like romantic comedies. They don't really exist nowadays. And I, I don't know if there's that sort of person that is able to stretch their muscles in this particular way. And I don't know if Jason Reitman's going to be that guy. I really don't. I, I I also don't think it matters to him if he fails. Like, I don't, you know, in the sense that if if it fails and, and it's, They've got to make it for a reasonable budget as well because the 2016 one was 140 something million dollars it cost to make, and then of course marketing on top of that, and they marketed the shit out of that film as well, um, and so they didn't make any money back on it and didn't even make even. Whereas, so they've got to make it a reasonable cost. And when you think of something like Gone Girl, which cost what 90 million dollars thereabouts to make, I think, like 
it it costs a lot more to make a bigger looking film nowadays. So I don't know if if Jason what I'm trying to get at is I don't know if Jason Reitman's the economical director to be able to get the most bang out of his buck. And that's even more pressure as well. So I want to say I feel sorry for the guy, but I don't because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you'll just go back to working with Diablo Cody again. And that's exactly what I want. So it's like, you know, I win in the end and that's all that matters. Uh, So I do think you're right. I don't, I don't think this project is really set up for, failure like the 2016 one um because i bring you up the budget i didn't think in a recent interview i think uh last fall dan Aykroyd was kind of like like he i don't think he's ever come out saying like that movie was fantastic and the hate was totally undeserved you people are assholes because it, there was always like it, it kind of struck me the wrong way there was always this like in his back pocket like well yeah that's okay i'm i approve of this as long as we get to do our actual Ghostbusters movie, like they were still, he was still disavowing it in a way. It was the the stepchild to him. But in that interview, he brought up like I had no problem with the movie. You know, it was funny. The, and I think he says the girls were great, um, but it cost too much. <laughs> and I'm like, the girls were great. I'm not saying Dan Aykroyd should know everyone by name, but um, at this point in their careers, they're certainly more famous than he is uh, comedically on the big screen. But yeah, the girls were great. Um, well, don't. I mean, he doesn't need to be on the big screen, though. He's got his vodka money, so you know. And that's the thing. Like, why didn't he just put his own vodka money towards his own version of a Ghostbusters film? He could have done this a long time ago. Uh, except, yeah, I don't know. I don't like Dan Aykroyd anyway. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Pod, podcast editing Mike is like that's where the music plays. We got to our resolution. We never He's do. Just, yeah. I don't like him. I don't. I don't really like him at all. <laughs> I don't have much more to add other than that. You know, he's he's a bit of a dick. Um, but yeah, uh, well, that's the thing. There you go. The Ruben Fleischer guy. Ru- yeah, the dude from Venom. Um, he's doing Zombieland too with uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are going to be cameoing in that film. Why didn't they get him to direct a Ghostbusters film? Uh, he's you know. He's tolerable enough. Don't they usually get somebody else to do all the action for these films anyway? And so it's just needing somebody to do the human work and all that hmm. kind of stuff. I guess as the, uh, you know, from the director that brought you Zombieland, that would have been palatable to the, the Ghost Bros uh, and would have been seen as something kind of uh, maybe cooler or hip there. Um, I don't know if the, with Venom he can play that card, the, the hipster card now, but sure. But – in, in that regard as well, um, you know, do directors matter to people anymore? Like, do directors uh, carry any weight whatsoever in the sense that, you know, yes, you and I know who Ivan Reitman or Peter Ferrelli mm. is, uh, but, like, when I saw Green Book last night, I mentioned uh, to the person I went and saw it with that I was like, well, this is directed by Peter Ferrelli, and they're like, okay, good, good, yeah, great. I'm like, he's the guy who directed uh, Dumb and Dumber. And they're like, oh, okay, right, okay, sure, no worries. Whereas I'm sure, like, back in the 90s, you know, if you said, hey, Peter Farrelly directed this, they'd be like, oh, the guy who did this, something about Mary and Kingpin and uh, hmm. Dumb and Dumber, that kind of thing. So well, there's that name recognition. Um, I, I mean, even in the 90s, I guess, if he had, if he had done Green Book, I don't know if they would have leaned as hard into that uh, because – 
uh, you know, doing King Dumb and Dumber to Kingpin to there's something about Mary to me, myself, Nareen, he's on brand, right? As far as like, if you liked this one, then this following film, The Coming of Summer, is aimed squarely at you. Same fucking audience. Um, mm. I, I think it's something like, like if you go to like a Titan, like a Spielberg, who everyone knows his name, even if maybe younger generations don't give a shit, like if it's a Steven Spielberg movie or not, I think that name has added value certainly on something like Ready Player One to to that particular audience. But yeah. if Spielberg yeah. was doing Green Book, that same audience is going to see Ready Player One, they don't give a shit. Like, oh, well, I liked Ready Player One. Now he's doing Green Book. Got to see that. So, yeah. Well, I way. mean, yeah. Yeah, the crossover for The Post and Ready and Ready Player One was uh, it was massive, you know. People were just lining up. Ooh, this one's got Meryl Streep in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love this. Yeah. Well, that was the problem, right? In the release strategy, they should have had uh, Ready Player One to bring in all these young pups to go see The Post. Exactly. And then instead of having that Shining sequence, have, you know, a sequence that was set in the post-universe. Um, <laughs> it would have been ideal. <laughs> Synergy. Synergy. That's what they need. I'm not saying get rid of the Shining <laughs> sequence, but I would have loved, as a film fan, if he had name-checked the post <laughs> from two months prior. <laughs> this is a classic, right? <laughs> right on par with the Shining, the post. I know yeah. it will be. Exactly. Well, I know that in the Ready Player One universe, if that actually exists, and this is where the conversation has clearly gone off the rails, but, um, uh, you know, I would be running around as Tom Hanks from The Post uh, in that universe. Uh, me taking on the Iron Giant uh, as Tom Hanks from The Post. That's mm -hmm. what I would do. Tom uh, Hanks from You've Got Mail, obviously. That's what would be. F-O-X. That would be Mr. Yeah. Fox there. Absolutely. Um <laughs> I had one last thought on the, on these type of properties. Like, are are they ever going to be free of the past? Like, can you think of a movie that was based on, you know, a remake or reboot, what have you previous IP that was so detached at that point from the past incarnation that no one had really a dog in the fight one way or the other. And I'm not saying that it had to be like the easy layup would be like, oh, it was a terrible movie, and for whatever reason it got remade, and people were like, good, let's do it right this time. But was there something that was well-received, that enough time passed that people didn't give a shit if it was beholden to it or not? Um, I don't know, because it's the kind of thing that nowadays, you know, because of all these sequels and, and requels and whatever you want to call them, you know, that are existing nowadays, there are still people who are still emotionally attached to those original films. And the first one that came to mind was like Mad Max Fury Road. But then I remember all the people were like, oh, why would you replace Mel Gibson with Tom Hardy? <laughs> and it's like, well, Tom's a nicer guy uh, for starters. A little bit younger. A um, little bit younger. Yeah, just a touch younger. Yeah. I don't think that Mel could have done uh, what, you know, Tom did in that film. But um yeah, I can't really think of much, uh, but it seems to be the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the thing of choice trying to see if these brand names still have recognition or, or interest for people down the line. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about it earlier and trying to think of things that had, had come back after a long period of time. And, you know, I'm thinking of movies like Zoolander 2 and Anchorman 2 and things like that where they have an inbuilt audience. And sure, the time distance between them and, you know, the first one of their series is not as big as Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 3. But there is still that time distance there where people are very much like, 
you know, oh, I'm kind of keen to watch this and then it turns out shit. Or maybe like that uh, uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween film as well, which uh, was fine, but it's supposed to be a direct sequel to the first Halloween. I don't know if people are emotionally attached to the sequels of the Halloween films or not. I'm, I'm out of touch with that universe. But, um, yeah, they're the ones that come to mind. I don't know if the fans are so up in arms that they are getting this kind of sequel. But... And that's a property that was so diluted at that point that you would have with Ghostbusters. We were talking about one, one reboot and Halloween. Mm. I've not seen them all. I think I've only seen like Halloween and maybe I guess the 20 years later one. I remember seeing that as a teenager, but I'm sure it went off the rails. And I I think they were already like they had already erased some of those films before this one, which I guess erased all of them except the first one. I don't know. Like, I don't guess it matters. I watched it and it didn't. I got it. Killer on the loose again. It's fine. Yeah. 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 It did the job. But I wonder, uh, like, if this goes well and they see that it's a success, whether this will lead towards that, uh, the Goonies sequel, because everybody is getting, Jesus you know. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, no, no. Like, if there's one film that continually comes up as people going, oh, we really need a sequel, it's the Goonies. I just, I. I, I just have to. I mean, on the face of it, I've seen the Goonies, whatever. But oh, the Goonies like, is a terrible film. It's an awful film. I don't care how <laughs> much you fucking love the Goonies or how much you know. Write your 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 medium blog post or whatever talking about how it uh, it, it led you to meet your <laughs> wife. I don't give a shit. Whatever your crazy fucking film Twitter take is on it, can you categorically say <laughs> we need a Goonies sequel? No. Oh no, we do, we don't need a good single, but we also don't need a third Ghostbusters either. Um, but then I also said way back when that we didn't need a fourth Mad Max f- film, and we got one, and it was very good. So, you know, but then again, Jason Reitman is no George Miller. Uh, you know, the pedigree is uh, obviously because George Miller's Australian, so his talent is high. <laughs> Whereas Jason Reitman's Hollywood born and, you know, tainted by the reservoir that uh, was in Chinatown. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, that's all I've got. <laughs> that's all we've got this week. You're saying thankfully. But for whatever reason, if you'd like to communicate with us or maybe suggest some more movie podcasts to throw our way, Contact us on Twitter at MarcusPlayedPod, Instagram at MarcusPlayed, or email us at MarcusPlayed at gmail.com. Still she stood there waiting like she knew I 